Tim asked me, Chris, would you like me to organise a Bible reading this week? I said, nah, we're not going to do a Bible reading this week. We are, but not all at once. Psalm 65. But now that we've had the morning that we've had, I think it would be appropriate if I read to you Psalm 65 in the King James Version. Yeah. All right. Someone's borrowed my King James Version. So even though I don't like reading the Bible from my phone, I'm going to do that this morning because I was able to look up good old King Jimmy on the iPhone. So let me read to you Psalm 65 in the King James Version, and then I'm going to switch back to the ESV once we start looking through it because that's what I've prepared it in. All right. Psalm 65, King James. A psalm and song of David. Verse 1. Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Sion, and unto thee shall the vow be performed. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. By terrible things in in righteousness will thou answer us, O God of our salvation. Who art the confidence of all the ends of the earth, and unto them that are afar off upon the sea, which by his strength setteth fast the mountains, being girded with power, which stilleth the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the people. They also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at thy tokens. Thou makest the outgoings of the morning and evening to rejoice. Thou visiteth the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou art no provided for. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the springing thereof. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice in every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn, They shout for joy. They also sing. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. Whether we read it in the language and the words that we're used to or not, you have spoken and your words are life. And so, Lord, we ask, will you speak to us? Holy Spirit, will you instruct us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, King James is going to go down there for a little while. All right. This psalm, Psalm 65, is written in um, Hebrew poetry. And it's sort of deep deep weeds when you start going into figuring out how Hebrew poetry works. I'm not going to do that this morning. But it involves a lot of um, parallelism where they they say one line and say another line which either contradicts or um, echoes. and, And there's a whole different types of ways that they do that. But one of the structures, a very big structure of Hebrew poetry is often uh, like a pyramid. Okay, so think of a pyramid. I think I've got a picture up there of a pyramid. You you know, even if you've never been to Egypt, even if you don't know much about world history, I'm pretty sure that a pyramid is familiar to you. 
all right? Um, this psalm was written with a pyramid structure, where at the outset of the psalm, in verse 1, we find ourselves at the uppermost point of it, the apex. And from there, as the psalm progresses through, it kind of widens out in its ideas all the way to its base. But I think it might be helpful for us today to stand sort of at the foundation of this psalm, at the end of it, and to take in the expanse of where the psalm concludes, where the psalm finishes, and then we're going to work our way step by step back up this pyramid, back up this psalm, all the way to the top, narrowing in as it goes. All right? So we're going to start at the end of this psalm, and we're going to work our way through and end up at the beginning of this psalm as we follow this structure. But just so that we're clear what this psalm is about, here's the opening verse in the English Standard Version. Verse 1 says, Praise is due to you, O God. Praise is due. You, God, deserve praise is what that means. If you go and do a job, it's not a volunteer. Did you ever have jobs when you were a kid growing up? Chores, I did. Most kids did. I would do chores and then I would go over to mum. Finish my chores, mum. What that meant was, give me my pocket money. Right? (laughs) Mum would then inform me, no, no, Chris, that was a love job. Right? We had love jobs and money jobs in the house. It was amazing how many love jobs there were. But if you go and do a job, whether you're a kid earning pocket money or whether you go and do your job now, when you've done a day's work, you are due your wages. Right? You've completed the work, you've accomplished the task, and you deserve, you are owed wages. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. We're going to end up at that verse at the end of this sermon. But just so that you are very clear, this psalm, just like all the others that we've looked at in this series, is going to give us a reason why God should be praised. Not why we could just, if we feel like it, praise. Not if it's sort of you know, convenient for us. Imagine that. Getting to the end of your working week. Signing off your timesheet and handing it in. And your boss says, it's not really convenient for me to, pr- to pay you at the moment. All right? The unions will hear about this. This is not about whether it's convenient or not for us to praise. This psalm is going to give us some reasons why God deserves our praise. Why we should spend this week worshipping. All right? Why we should be so keen to gather with other people and say, hey, have you experienced this about God? Because I want to sing his praises today. I want to stand up here and give testimony to the fact that God is amazing. Because, and this psalm is going to give us a good reason for that. All right? 
So we're going to follow our triangle, our pyramid structure. We're going to start right at the base, which is at the end of the psalm. So if you're in your Bible, I want you to grab your Bibles if you can, look at them. I want you to go down towards the end of the psalm, Psalm 65. We're going to start at verse 9 and go through to the end, just to sort of cement this in our mind a little bit. Verse 9, and this is the first sort of base of the pyramid, the first big, wide, expansive reason that we're going to experience and, and want to see something about God that brings us to praise. Now, if you saw the title that I had up on the screen, we're going to praise God because of his power. All right? And that's what this verse, uh, this psalm is particularly about, God's power. Okay, So here's the, the base of the pyramid. Verse 9, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide for their grain, for so you have prepared it. Your water, you water its furrows, that's the earth's furrows, abundantly, settling in ridges, softening it with showers, blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. All right, there's the, the foundation of David's declaration about God's power and the reason why we praise him. And it's about the fact that the earth worships its sustaining creator. God is the creator of this world and his power sustains it. Now, it, it kind of like this sort of stuff when we get to these sorts of things in the Psalms tends to wash over us in this world that we live in today, 2023, Raymond Terrace. Now, if you're brave enough and if there's anyone in the room that's willing to, just wave your hand if your primary income, your primary career is in agriculture. No one. And that's pretty normal. In Raymond Terrace or in the Western world, in 2023, there are very few people who live off what the land provides. All right? But when David wrote this psalm in Israel, nearly every single person that would have sung this song were farmers of some sort or fishermen. All right? They either farmed grain, goats and sheep, or they fished. They depended on what the earth provided for them. But they didn't say what the earth provided for them. <laughs> they said what God provided for them. And so the first way that we need to sort of try and understand where David's saying, hey, God is powerful. God is amazing. And because of this power, you should praise him. It's because we look around us and say, this earth is sustained because God makes it so. Just in the same way that he looked out in the beginning of the book of Genesis and we have the record of God's creation, there was nothing. It says it was void, it was dark, and God spoke. 
Right? God spoke. His word brought life. Now, we know life has been corrupted by sin. We know that we corrupt the earth as we live in it. And yet, God, by his power, he he makes life occur. And we benefit from it. Even if we don't draw an income from it, we benefit from it. In verses 6 through 8, in that little passage, there's a sense of awe for God's power, right? God visits the earth and waters it. He sends the rain where it's required. He greatly enriches it. There's this concept, there's very poetic language through the Psalms, but the river of God is full of water. You get this idea of God being this immense reservoir, right? This immense reservoir of sustaining power and here God is abundantly bringing it down to the earth and saying it's yours right the rain in its due season the sun when it's required God prepares it okay you water it settling in the ridges softening it with showers blessing its growth we've got this picture that David's saying is look around you right God is God is sustaining this world with awesome power God provides water for the land. In verses 11 through verse 13, God causes abundance in the land. You've got this idea of like, you know, the flowers on the hillside. I love the closing verses in verse 12 and verse 13. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. See the language that David's using here? The hills are joyful because God is giving them their flowers. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. This is the the language of the Psalms all the way through. They shall go out with joy. The trees shall clap their hands. When Jesus walks into Jerusalem, remember... And there are people calling out praises to Hosanna, Hosanna, the king. And the Pharisees, they were so upset by this. And they said to Jesus, make your disciples stop calling out. And he says, man, you don't understand. If they don't call out my praises, even the rocks will. Creation knows to praise its creator. And David is just saying to us this morning, well, open your eyes. We should too. Right? If trees can crack their hands, if stones can cry out, you can, yeah. we can, and we should. God deserves that type of praise. So that's the foundation of this pyramid. Okay? We're at the widest and most expansive, broadest point. Creation praises God. We are a part of creation. We should praise God. All right? There's the foundation. The next rung up the pyramid. Point two, verses five through eight. We're working our way, remember, back to the beginning of this psalm, back to the pinnacle. Here it narrows in a little bit more. We're not just talking about broadly creation anymore. Let's read verses five through eight. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth. 
and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell on the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the, you make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. All right. So the point is that we have a God. The reason we should praise God's power in salvation. All right. We have a God who gives hope in salvation by awesome deeds, David says. You answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth. One of my favorite chapters in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 15, has this verse in it, verse 3. You can turn it if you want to. It's an easy book to find right at the end. Just make sure you keep your finger in Psalm 65. Revelation 15 and verse 3. It's a picture of worship. A picture of worship. They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. That's, that's the type of praise that David's asking us to start now. Interestingly enough, all the way through eternity, it's the same type of praise that we're going to give. Moses wrote songs about it. There's songs about the Lamb of God. And their songs about the great and amazing deeds that God has done. God has acted in mighty ways, not only in history, but in your life. It's a really good practice, especially when you're feeling discouraged. This is a practice that I've started to try and develop in my life. Over the years as I've battled with depression, battled with anxiety or, or battled with a sense of um, what's my purpose in this? Where am I going in this? This life and this circumstance is to stop. To stop right there and take out a piece of paper. Don't just make mental lists, all right? I'm a, I like mental lists, but take out a piece of paper, grab a pen, have something tactile in your hand and write out as many ways that you can recall God being good to you. There's a reason why God continually all the way through the Bible says to his people, remember. Remember. Now, it's not about looking to the past It's not about just saying, oh, things were so good back then. I'll just have to try and do what I used to do back then. There are lessons to be learnt from the past, but it's not about looking back and thinking about how good things used to be. It's looking back and seeing how good God has always been. That God has been like this and he's faithful. He will not change. And if God's been like that in the past, you can bet that he's going to be like that in the future. You can bank on it. 
even if you can't see it right now. So this is the song that we're going to sing. One day, one day in the future, you and I will be singing. If you know Jesus this morning as your rescuer, your Lord and your saviour, then one day you and I will be standing shoulder to shoulder and someone's going to say in the courts of heaven, can we sing the song of Moses and the Lamb again, please? And we're going to sing this and we're going to break out into song. We're going to go, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. And we're going to nudge each other and go, see, we knew this was going to happen. I'm looking forward to it. But this is the song that David sang in Psalm 65. And it's a song about a God who gives hope in salvation. A God who has rescued. A God who redeems. A God who takes broken and discarded things and makes them whole. A God that can take dead people and give them life. A God that can breathe into clay and make it walk. And that's my prayer most days, isn't it? Is it yours? Lord, I'm just dust. I need you to breathe life into me. We have a God who gives hope in salvation. If that is not a reason to come and worship, then I don't know what is. We need hope and we need hope in God's salvation. And so the the pyramid started with a sense of this is God's power. He can sustain the earth. But also, let's narrow it in a little bit more. This is God's power. He can give hope because he can save. There's no God like him. The language that David uses here is very, um, sort of very visual. It's this God who can establish the mountains by his strength. We have very few mountains in Australia, really. When you start to go overseas and some other places, um, we have mountains in Australia. And I've seen mountains in Australia that just sort of leave you in awe and you think, wow, that's amazing. These huge escarpments. If you've stood up in the Blue Mountains over the escarpments and looked there, it's pretty awe-inspiring, isn't it? And then I remember, it's a long time ago now, but years ago I had the opportunity to be in South America and was travelling across the, the... a part of South America, I had to cross the Southern Alps, all right, the Andes. And we went high up into this pass. And we were going for hours and hours and hours, on in a vehicle, up into a pass. And it was the most breathtaking sight I've ever seen in all my life. Just towering peak upon peak with snow-covered mountains. It was the postcard stuff. And we stopped in this pass, and the guy that was guiding us and taking us to where we were meant to go, he said, we'll stop out here. We got out, and I was having trouble breathing. We were at such high altitude, right? Felt dizzy, and he said, you can, um, there's, a, there's a coffee vendor on the side of the road here. They, they mix a small amount of cocaine powder in with the coffee. It really helps with the altitude sickness. And I understood now, it's like, that's why Colombia is so well known for its coffee. <laughs> Um, I didn't have any of that. Um, but what astounded me was standing in that pass, surrounded by peaks that I've never seen before. There was a big cloud bank in front of me. And as the clouds sort of seemed to part, 
I noticed that in front of me were just peak after peak after peak that just kept on going up. I thought that we were at the top. And he said, we are in the foothills of the Andes ranches. I couldn't believe it. Mountains, big mountains like that, leave us with a sense of just almost mind-boggling awe at the size and magnitude of this rock. You've travelled through Switzerland or even if you've been to the South Island of New Zealand, seen the, South, the Southern Alps down there, just astounding. But David says that our praise goes to the one who gives hope in salvation because he's the one by his strength who established those mountains. He's the one who formed it, pushed the ground together as it were, moulded them. That's the sort of strength, that's the sort of grandeur that we're talking about when we talk about God. Or the God who stills the roaring of the seas. Stood on a seashore when there's been massive swell running. <coughs> Ever tried to paddle out into big surf? I have. Was humbled very quickly. Or maybe you're thinking about the story of the disciples crossing. We need to praise God. He deserves our praise because he is the only one who can satisfy. All right. We're getting to the pinnacle of this pyramid now. Psalm 65, verse 3. We worship God's power because we worship God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness. Verse 60, uh, Psalm 65, verse 3. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgression. That's verse 3. This is how it's said elsewhere. There's a bunch of Psalms that say similar things. Psalm 38 and verse 4 says, For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. Is that how you feel this morning? Is that how you feel about your sin? Is that how you feel again about the ways that you, your life experiences that fracturing of relationship both with God and with the people around you? Right? So Psalm 65 says, when iniquities prevail against me, Psalm 38 says, my iniquities have gone over my head. That's a, that's a saying that we can relate to, isn't it? I'm in over my head. It's how Jonah felt when he was cast over and, and sinking deep. And when we read his prayer from the belly of the whale, it's filled with images of you know, your mountains and breakers have swept over me. Um, the way that uh, I think Steve, the last time he was here, spoke about this, if you were here. Um, the way that the seaweed had entangled around Jonah and he just felt like he was being dragged to the very foundations of the earth. Our iniquities have gone over our head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. And so we cry out. Psalm 79 verse 9 says, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. 
Here's this cry of the psalmist who's feeling overwhelmed, feeling completely washed over by their own sin, by their own iniquity. That's that word. And so they're crying out to someone who can save them. For the glory of your name, help us, O God of our salvation. Or Psalm 51, verse 2, that famous psalm that David wrote after he had sinned so grievously against Bathsheba and against Uriah, after he had committed murder, adultery, after he had lost so much, he wrote this psalm, a cry to God, Psalm 51, verse 2, just, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I'm wondering, is that the cry of your heart this morning? Then I want you to know that we have a God who saves. We have a God who has saved. Who is saving. And if you don't know him this morning, let me assure you, we have a God who will save even you. 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even the list that you have on your mind right now, there's two lists that we have. These are the list of sins that I think, I think God can deal with those ones. And then there's another list, one that you reserve very close for the innermost part of your heart. And we're tempted to think, I'm not sure God can cover those ones. I know I wouldn't. I know nobody else will. I want you to know this morning, I want my heart to know this morning, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all all unrighteousness. We have a God who saves. We have a lamb that has been given for us. We have God who has drawn near and he says, you can't save yourself. And so he, he has taken it upon himself to rescue us. He is mighty to save His right arm of redemption is stretched out, the Bible says, and he will rescue us. God deserves the praise of the entire world. Why? Because he's powerful. He's powerful. He's powerful in the way that he sustains this earth. He's powerful in the way that he rescues, redeems, and saves Praise is due to you, verse 1. We've reached the summit. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh come. God is the goal. He's the goal is where we're all moving towards, whether you acknowledge it or not. 
One day every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I'm going to ask you this morning, why not start doing that now? God deserves it. He's powerful. He's powerful in so many ways. And we put a mic out the front and there's people lining up to come up here and say, hey, listen, this is how good God is. You could know that too. You could experience that. This is the way that God sustains you with power and supplying for your needs. This is the way that you've experienced his faithfulness. This is the way that you've experienced his rescue. And we can all say, if we know Jesus, I want to get up this morning and just give a testimony. I am a great sinner, but God is even greater saviour. What a great testimony that we could all give. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. You sustain us. You give us life. You're faithful. You always have been. Lord, we praise you because you remain faithful. You're dependable. You're able to rescue. You are the God who brings hope through salvation. Lord, you've given us hope this morning. As we look to Jesus, we see our sin dealt with, our iniquity that we felt so overwhelmed with, taken away, dealt with once and for all at the cross. And so we come to him, Lord Jesus, We worship you. We praise your name. God, you are so good to us. And we love you. Amen. Maybe you don't know this God that I've been talking about this morning. Maybe you've not experienced him in your life. Then today is the day that your praises can begin. As you experience him for the first time, maybe. There's not a magical formula that you have to memorize and apply. There's just a sense of humility to come to him and acknowledge that I need you and I need your salvation. I am a sinner. God, please save me. And he will. He will. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just And will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to sit here at the front. If you need someone to just talk you through that a little more, to pray with you, my prayers hold no more power than yours will. But I would love to pray with you. If you know someone here and you'd rather talk with them, then sit down and do that now. Do that today. Don't leave it.